Right. Well, I wanted to share with you something really quickly. Uh, first off, you probably notice it's a little bit louder in here now. We have our new speakers, and they are attached to our current soundboard. Our new one will be put in uh, not too long from now. So we are taking those baby steps, and, and uh, hopefully you notice a difference. I know that I do, and I am grateful for the church for um, you know putting forth the money to take care of the sanctuary and make sure that we can all hear a little bit more clearly and a little bit better. Also, I wanted to share with you, a couple weeks ago, I shared a story about the, uh, the parsonage at Foos Mills and how God brought about a huge healing in my life uh, when it came to going back to that place and seeing God rule and reign. Well, last week, while I was spending time at district conference, the current pastor of Foos Mills had a conversation with me. He found out who I was, and he talked with me and said, you know what? Wouldn't it be great if you came and shared the story of healing with our people? And I said, I would love to do that. We've not yet scheduled that time. But one, another crazy thing about what God is doing is that a, my neighbor from Foos Mills, right next door to the parsonage, her name is Mary. We affectionately call her Mame. She is here this morning to be with us. So Mame's right there. If you could raise your hand. I just want to honor you. She drove all the way from uh, Altoona this morning, and it's just an image, a picture of the healing reality of our God. God is good, and He is good all of the time. And so with that in mind, we're going to be opening up the Scripture. We're going to be doing some more biblical calisthenics, as I like to call them, as we're going to be going back and forth through different portions of Scripture. A secret for you is every time you open up the bulletin, you'll be able to see in the sermon notes where we're going to be going passage-wise. And so if you're interested, when you get here in the morning, you can start flipping to those and mark them so that when we get there, you can read them right away. But before we jump into this morning's sermon, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that holds your children. That we can come to you on the throne and just be held. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning as we look into the scripture about knowing you, I pray that our lives will be transformed. That our hearts will have a deeper passion to know you more. And to know you alone. Father, may we pursue you in a powerful way, for you have already pursued us and are just waiting for us to come to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll speak through me this morning, and that your spirit will ignite our ears to hear what you have. May it not just be for education, Father, but may we be transformed as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm a typical millennial, I'm older, but I still enjoy social media. Social media is, a, is an important platform to my generation, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, there's all kinds of new ones that are being developed so that the, the younger folks can say, I'm in on the new one and I can tell all those old people that, that they can just have Facebook and all those different things. Well, I enjoy Facebook, except it's gotten a little bit toxic. 
But my point is, is originally, when Facebook was designed, when social media began to explode, the point was closer relationship. You can remember who your friends were in high school. You can connect with people in college a little bit more. You can know what's going on in their life a little bit easier. And all of that was supposed to create a better, uh, closer relationship with one another. However, it's actually had the opposite effect in my opinion. And many times when you have a Facebook friendship, you can know about people. You can know a lot about what's going on in their life and you can see where they eat, you can see where they check into church or when they check into their favorite store or what books they like, what movies they like, what kind of color hair they have that day, who their family is. I mean, you can know pretty much about anything about these people that they put on Facebook and people put away too much information out there. Right? We just don't need to know all of that, those facts about your life. However, it still doesn't allow us to know one another. We can know about one another all day long, but we don't actually know each other unless we spend time face-to-face where we're getting to know one another and not just about each other, but we can see how each other reacts to certain things or what's really going on in the life of people. Because let's be honest, with Facebook, we can make everything look good. We can wait until we put our makeup on before we put a selfie on. We could, we could make it all look as nice and, and clean as we want. But when we live life on life, things get a little messy. But the point is that we are to know one another. We talked about that last week when we talked about relationships And our most important relationship is with God. We are built and created to know him, not just know about him, but too often Christians are content to just know about rather than actually encounter the living God. But scripture calls us to encounter the living God, to know the living God deeply. But we are content with something less. Tozer once said, the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. It is possible to have some truth in the mind without having the spirit in the heart. But it is never possible to have the spirit apart from truth. You see, we have a beautiful book that can bring us to a deeper transformational relationship with God. But if we approach it as just information, if we just want to know about God, we can read the scriptures and know the truth but not have an encounter with the living God. And his word is not just to be to know, for us to know something, it's for us to know someone. And so I want to challenge us in understanding how we know God and why it is important. Because the enemy of our souls fills us with lies about God. We've talked about this several times from the book of Ephesians where the enemy wants to change our view of ourselves or our view of God. And so the enemy wants us to believe that God does not want to know us. That he's some far, some far off deity that is just there not involved in the here and now and wanting to know us intimately and deeply. However, God wants to know you and I. In fact, God longs for his people to know him. The passage in John 10 that that Mark read for us speaks to that truth of the good shepherd wanting to know his sheep, and he wants his sheep to know him. 
He says, they know me and I know them. And we're going to use that passage again next week in the understanding of being known by God. But today we're talking about knowing God. Again, another uh, Tozer quote, which I think is imperative for us to catch because it also comes from an understanding of John 16, 13. And here's what he says in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the holy. And that whole book is not necessarily talking about theoretical knowledge. It's talking about encounter, heart knowledge. Only the Spirit of God can enliven our hearts to know God. And so we must invite the Holy Spirit into every aspect of what we do. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. He is the one that we should ask, make the Bible make sense. Open my eyes to what you are truly saying to me now, but also in the context of what you were saying then. For his word is living and active, and the Holy Spirit will ignite us with a knowledge of himself. And so the question that we'll seek to answer today through the scriptures is, why should we seek to know God? As believers, why should we seek to know him? Why is it not enough to know about him? Why should we seek a deep, real encounter with him? And we're going to look at an interesting passage that you might look at and say, how in the world does this have anything to do with knowing God? But we'll unpack it and it will make sense. We're going to look first at at Exodus 33, verses 11 through 23. Exodus 33, verses 11 through 23. The word of the Lord. I'll give you a moment to... Open your scriptures there. Again, I'm reading from the ESV, so it might look a little bit different in your particular translation. Exodus 33, 11 through 23 says this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not in your going with us so that we are distinct, distinct, I and your people, for every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. 
A powerful illustration of knowing. And now to the one that might seem a little obscure, the passage in Isaiah verses six, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Again, we're answering the question, why should we seek to know God? Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. The word of the Lord says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two co- which two covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. A powerful story of knowing, of an encounter with the living God. And we've already read the passage of John 10, 7 through 15, where we saw this passionate knowing of Jesus to his sheep. I think the first thing that we can see as to why we are to know God is that knowing God brings comfort. Knowing God brings you and I comfort. If you recognize, it says in in, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was a good king. He wasn't the greatest king. He wasn't David. But for 52 years, he ruled seeking to show God's glory. He wanted God to be glorified. He sought to follow the direction of God more so than many of the kings that were before him and definitely more so than the king that was behind him. You see, the reason why Isaiah wrote down those words, that when King Uzziah died, it was a moment of sadness for Isaiah and Israel. Because the king that was coming after Uzziah was not a good king. He was a terrible king, in fact. He worshipped idols and wanted other people to leave the God of Israel to worship idols alongside of him. And so Isaiah, or Isaiah knew this truth and knew King Uzziah after his death, that things would not be good. But look at what happens. The very next thing that he says, after King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. You see, no matter what was going on in Israel, no matter the king that was going to come next, God was still on his throne. God was still on his throne, and God is still on his throne now. And when we have this experience and encounter of knowing God, when we come face to face with him, we see him on his throne. We know his power. We understand that when we can go to him and seek to know him, we will see his power. 
We will know that our circumstances do not stand a chance. In fact, God's sovereignty cannot be thwarted by our circumstances. And we can see this in Psalm 104. And throughout the reality of Scripture, we see that our circumstances do not stand a chance against the living, powerful God. Amen? When we have a deep knowing of God, we can be convinced and convicted of this truth that his presence, that knowing him brings us comfort. We will receive that comfort when we get into his presence and know him passionately. In these passages of Exodus, we see the word to know in Hebrew is yada. When we see that conversation with God and with Moses, they use this Hebrew word yada. And yada, when we translate it into the Greek, is gnosko, which is this deep, intimate knowledge of. And so what Moses is saying to God is, I do not want to move without you. I know you are powerful. I know you are the one that we need in order to move forward. I will not move until I know you. Wow, how often do you and I say that to God? I'm not going to do anything until I know you more. I'm not going to move forward in my life with anything until I know you more. Moses was a really stubborn dude. If you look throughout all of Exodus, he was just stubborn. And God had to work with his stubbornness, but this is where his stubbornness actually was to his benefit. Because he said, hey, I'm not moving until I know you, until the people know that I know you. For you say you know me and you know me by name, but I need to know you a little bit more and I need your presence to go with us. Are you and I just as stubborn as Moses? Are we seeking to know God Deeply, Are we seeking to have the gnosko, the yada, the deep, intimate knowing of? It's spending time with, sitting down for a long, lingering meal. In fact, one of my favorite Greek words is dipnon. And when Jesus says, I will knock on the door, welcome me in, and I will have dinner with you, he's using the word dipnon, which means I will sit there for a really long time. Dipnon in this time of, of the, of the uh, era of life was the long lingering meal. There were two other meals in the morning and the afternoon and they were really quick. It's not like our breakfast and lunch. It was like I'm running out the door, I'm grabbing bread, I'm sitting down while I'm in the middle of my work day, I'm grabbing bread and then I go home and I have Dipnon. I sit with my family. I spend hours with them, knowing them. What's going on in your day? Here's what's going on in my day. And the reality is, is that God wants Dipnon with you and with me? Are we stubborn enough to stay there and wait for it? Are we trying to rush through the meal? Are we spend our time in prayer? Are we just like, give me the turkey leg and I'm out, God. I'm just, just let me eat that and I'm, I'm done. Are we sitting there and, and just lingering? I don't know what your Thanksgiving meals look like, but my Thanksgiving meals at my family, we woof down the food, but then we stay at the table. Some people stay at the table and have really long time eating food. Some people woof down the food and leave. Some people might not even go to the table. They just watch while they're watching football on TV. I don't know what your Thanksgiving looks like. But God wants to have Dipnon, to know you, to have a long, lingering time with you. Will we be stubborn? The next thing we see in that, that passage of Exodus is that Joshua did not want to leave the tent. Moses would leave, but Joshua was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to sit here on my face, and I'm just going to spend all day with God. He did not leave the tent. 
Are we leaving the tent a little bit too soon or are we spending time knowing God? The next thing that we can see from this passage in Isaiah is that knowing God brings conviction and change. Knowing God brings conviction and change. Look at what happens afterwards. He, when he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he talks about the seraphim and he says that they were shouting to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. And it shook the foundations of where he was standing and he declared, woe is me for I'm lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees the power of God. He feels the power of God and he hears the holiness of God and he's like, just kill me now because I am a bum. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've got nothing good in me. Look at you. You're holy. You're high and lifted up. You are the king. And he has conviction in his heart and he falls down with the weight of his sin. You see, when you and I, when we spend time knowing God, we recognize and know that we've got nothing and he's got everything. That is an imperative reality for you and for me to recognize. Because as I've said several times before, we try to do things on our own, but we can't. Isaiah will later on say that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We have nothing to offer. And I believe he's looking back and remembering that moment. Like, trust me, guys, we've got nothing if you saw what I saw, if you know God the way I know God, woo, all of you would just ask for death. But it also brings about change. It brings about change because when we know God, we better know ourselves and our sins. See, the more intimate I get with God, the more I know God, the more I recognize I'm messed up. There might have been that time where, you know, I had that big conviction of all the different big rocks of my sin. But then the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize that those things that I thought were minor are actually major issues in my life. One of those times came when I was spending time with the Lord and I was reading through the scriptures and I realized that I had a great gigantic sense of entitlement. And I thought, well, that's not really that big a deal. I mean, who cares? I'm entitled to stuff. I'm a millennial. That's what I do. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you're entitled to nothing. He said, my son, I love you, but you're entitled to nothing. And in that moment, man, it was just so convicting and convincing, and I said, God, I need to change. Because when we spend time knowing God and knowing who he is, understanding his holiness and his otherness and his power, if we want to continue knowing him and have a deep relationship, things have got to change. And so we'll fall down and say, I'm a sinner. But then he'll lift us up and bring about changing. We know more of who we are when we seek to know him. You see, we... <laughs> We see that we get conviction and change, but knowing God also brings cleansing. Knowing God also brings about cleansing. Verse 6 in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Wow. He falls upon his face and he knows that he has nothing. He knows his unworthiness. He knows that he doesn't have anything to offer. He better knows himself in that moment. And then God offers him cleansing. Even though he didn't deserve it, God could have said, Yep, Isaiah, you are a bum and you deserve death. Have a good day. But he didn't. He picked him up. And the seraphim flew and put a coal upon his mouth. You see, many people, although this is in Isaiah 6, if you look at the commentaries, we believe that this happened before the stories of his prophecy. Because he needed to know God before he could move forward. His lips needed to be cleansed. His guilt and sin needed to be taken away before he became the prophet of the living God. Because if you and I are not spending time in the presence, if Isaiah was not spending time in the presence seeking to know God, when we go out to do the work of God, we bring ourselves instead of God. And so God was cleansing Isaiah, preparing him for his mission, preparing his heart to be ready, and cleansing him from his sins. One of the most beautiful images of Scripture is the altar. And listen to this really quickly. The seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. The reason why the altar is important, you and I wouldn't understand necessarily what that thinks. We might think of this type of thing in the altar, all those burning coals at the altar. No, the altar in the Old Testament days was where the blood sacrifice would happen and it would get exploded with fire to consume it to, as worship and praise and sacrifice to the Lord. So, in the altar were blood and fire. Go with me. This is an example, an image of Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is in this moment. Here's why. In Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is likened to water, wind, and fire. And when we think of blood sacrifice, who immediately comes to mind? Jesus. And so what we see here in this moment is that the blood of Christ cleanses us and the filling of the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that which we've been called to do. You see, Christ is in every aspect of the scripture. I love it. If you open up the, the Old Testament and you can find Jesus in almost every page, numbers gets a little bit tricky to find Jesus. But it's a powerful reality that everything is surrounded around Jesus, that his blood sacrifice, his death and resurrection for you and for me, that's what makes us capable of being holy. In that moment, the burning coal touched his lips. He was filled with a fervor and a passion, and he went out and he said some crazy things. He lived a crazy life. Isaiah was hunted down, just like most of the other prophets. He didn't say things that people loved. He said things that kind of made them a little irate. See, but sometimes when we're called and we move into our purpose, God's going to call us to tough things. And if we're not prepared with the, the blood of Jesus and we're not prepared with the Holy Spirit, then we, we just can't live into what we're called to do. It begins with knowing God. It begins to going to his presence, seeing our sin, but feeling his cleansing. If you've never been cleansed from your sins, today is your day. God wants to know you and meet you here and now. 
He wants to cleanse you from the sins in your life, that those areas of disobedience where we have lived not according to the scripture, but according to our own flesh and according to the world and according to the enemy. You see, God wants to know you. He's pursuing you. If you don't know Christ, you came here for a reason, to hear this message, to know that fire and blood are your healing and cleansing and salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ and the fire of the Holy Spirit and the living Father who is holy. Because knowing God can heal any infirmity, whether it's spiritual, emotional, or physical. Everything can be healed. Now, it might not always be God's will to physically heal us, but it is always his will to emotionally and spiritually heal us. We might still have physical issues in our lives that we might not ever be healed from, but he promises a spiritual awakening that you and I can come to new life where we receive Christ and we are no longer the old, but we are the new. And that changes how we perceive ourselves and that changes how we perceive the world and it changes how we perceive God and that is where we receive that emotional cleansing. Because all of that that we have in our lives are lies that we've believed about others and ourselves and about God. God desires to bring cleansing and knowing him can heal our infirmities. Knowing God is so important. Through the Old Testament and the New, we see this. We see that David in Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the waters, so my soul longs for you. He wants to know God desperately. Now, I don't know if there's any hunters in the room, but you know that when a deer is panting, its tongue has swollen, and if it doesn't get water right now, it will die. And so what David is saying to God is, if I don't know you, if we don't spend time together, if we don't have that intimate connection, I am on the brink of death. I need to know you. He's stubborn too, just like Moses Stubborn for the same thing, knowing God, pursuing God. Are we stubborn like those guys? Moses was relentless. Exodus 33, 14 through 16, he asks an audacious thing. He's like, all right, I know you. We're getting to know each other. Now show me your glory. <laughs> now you might not think that that's a big deal, but that's a really big deal. God's like, Moses, I love you. I know you but you can't handle this. <laughs> He's like, if I show you all my glory, you will die. He's like, well, give me whatever I can get. It's a, it's a conversation of intimacy. I want to see and know more of you. I don't have enough. Is that how we feel about God or are we content just to know about? Do we want an encounter with the living, breathing God? Do we want to spend time face to face when we are in our prayer tent or wherever we are spending time with God? Are we content to just say, okay, I got to go do something now? Or we're like, you know what? I'm going to miss that. I'm going to forget that. I don't need to go to that right now. I need to finish this time. It's really easy for us to get caught up in our busyness. Well, I got to go to this next thing. I got to go to this next thing. But man, when you're spending time and knowing God and you feel his presence, don't move away from that moment. Stay with him. We also see 
that knowing God reveals our purpose. Isaiah 6, 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. He's like, Wait a second. I know that I have nothing to offer. Now I know that you cleansed me and you did something to me for a purpose. And you're, there's no one else in this room. <laughs> well, you and I are all by ourselves. And you know, you're not just sitting there saying, well, who's going to go? Because God's not dumb. He's really smart. <laughs> in fact, he knows way more than you and I do. So Isaiah, he didn't even have to look around knowing that he was the only one in the room. He said, oh, yeah, pick me, pick me. I know your holiness. I know your power. I know your passion. I know your cleansing. Woo, let's go. See, we'll find our purpose when we know God. Because knowing God helps us know ourselves better. We will understand why we were created. Because the creator who knows us best wants us to spend time with him so he can tell us who we really are. But we try to define ourselves by ourselves. We try to define ourselves by our money. We try to define ourselves by our job or whatever it is, but he's the only one that can define us. And we'll understand this a little bit more next week as we know God and we are known by God. And when we spend time with the Lord, he cleanses us. A.B. Simpson says this, No man is fit to represent God and be the instrument of the Holy Ghost until he first receives the cleansing power of God. We need to receive the cleansing power of God to be the vessels of Christ on this earth, to bring the new creation and share with others, look at what God has done. Look at the cleansing. Look at his power. In and of myself, I can't do anything, but he is my everything. And Isaiah caught this. He understood it. I'm cleansed. I can now go. Because he would have been stuck in that moment of recognizing God's holiness and his unholiness. But God picked him up and cleansed him and set him aside for something else. Because his presence informs and empowers our call. Knowing God in his fullness is what spurred Isaiah on with passion and excitement. Why should you and I seek to know God and not just know about him? Because God has and is and will always be everything. His presence informs and empowers our call. Many people say, I don't know what my purpose is in life. Well, ask him. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. These circumstances, they're overtaking me. Well, get to know him. Spend time with him. See his power over your circumstances. Because just like Isaiah, you will fall on the ground and be like, man, my circumstances have nothing over him. His presence informs and empowers our call. And finally, we can see this through scripture. That God will meet us and make himself known to us in our particular personality. Now, if you understand what I'm trying to say is that you and I, we're unique people. I'm different than you, and you're different than me. Moses was different than David, and they had different encounters with how God revealed himself to them. And so in our unique personalities, God desires to meet us there. Now, here's a little bit of a plug. On Wednesday, we're going to unpack what are called the basic instincts of the soul, how you and I connect to God the best. So you should be there. 
I'm just going to give a little bit of a plug, but the reality is, is that you and I each have different personalities. Let's take, for example, David. David loved music. He understood God best in musical notes. As he was writing hymns, as he was listening to the harp, as he was reading the Old Testament, as he was reading through, as he, he was listening to music while he was reading. Some of you need music to help enliven your soul and your heart. Some of you, as you listen to worship music, you feel alive. That's God meeting you in that moment. He knows you and he wants to meet you where he knows you. Moses needed to get alone and be in a tent with closed doors, no windows. Everybody leave me alone. I'm going to spend time in quiet and peace. Now Israel, they were not quiet and peaceful people. He's like, I just need to get away from the craziness. And so God met him in the tent. If you look at Jesus, Jesus had to get away to the mountain of olives, the Mount of Olives, the hillside. He got alone. You see, Jesus needed solitude as well. And he met his father in moments of quiet and solitude. God desires to meet us with our own personalities, our own unique self. And he'll meet us. I think many times we try to be someone else when we try to know God. Like, well, I need to memorize this, or I need to do this, or I need to read that really deep theological book that's really difficult for my brain to grasp so that I can be a stronger Christian. Well, not all of you are deep theological doctrinal thinkers. In fact, that might actually turn you away from trying to spend time with God because you're like, I just can't do it. But he wants to spend time with you in your unique personality. As we open up the scripture, it enlivens us we could see that God met different people in different ways. We've seen why God longs for us to be a people who seek to know him. But how? Deuteronomy 4.29 gives the answer. It says this, But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart, and with all your soul. You and I simply need to set aside time to seek after God. Set aside that time and understand our own unique personality of how we connect best. So come on Wednesday to see those different, those different instincts of the soul because there's many of them. There's many different ways that we can connect to God. And he wants to meet you in those places. Ask him for a holy desperation for his presence and to know him. I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come up and we're going to close with a song called Knowing You. May that be our prayer. May that be our cry that we will know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that desires to know me. I know that I don't deserve it, yet you still give it. You offer yourself. Father, may our hearts desire nothing but you alone. Jesus himself only. Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation, and I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know you, that today will be their day, that they will pray and ask you to open and enliven their hearts 
That they'll recognize their sin and their need of a Savior and that they will ask for you to come in and have dipnon, have dinner with them, knowing that you died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the grave to conquer Satan's sin and death. So, Father, if that's them, I pray that during this song, they will ask for you to take over their lives and that they'll tell someone about it at the end so that we can rejoice with them. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.